Yeah. All right, so open up your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 23. We're, we're continuing this journey. We're continuing this journey through the book of Exodus as, as they wander through the wilderness, and as we wander through the wilderness, it's a great little mirror. Um, I, as I get going, I know we do a lot of praying around here, but as I get going, let me just ask a question. Has anybody in the last week or so been battling, I'm going to mention three things. You just raise your hand at the, at the end, if, at the end of the, this sentence, if any of that's true of you. Have you been battling either distraction, offense, or anxiety this past week? Distraction, offense, or anxiety. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. After last week, I, I kind of heard from some folks who were like, yo, I pay attention because of distraction, offense, or anxiety. And it's just, it's just in the air. It's, you know, media's pumping, pumping it out to us. Once we stop getting offended at something, fill us up with something new to get offended at, right? So I just want to pray against those things today so we can actually hear from God. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. All right, Lord, help us. Protect us from distraction and offense and fear and anxiety. Protect us from those things. And, Lord, if we walked in with those things swimming around in our heart, get them out. Get them out. We surrender them to you. We surrender them to you. Replace it with your peace. Replace, replace it with your joy. Replace it with your presence. We want to be able to hear from you. Help us. Amen. All right, all right. So when I, when I was in high school, I, I, I was on a football team, and I was a fullback. And if you don't know what a fullback is, if you're not a big football fan, um, a guy in the back, so center, snaps the ball to the quarterback, and sometimes I would get the ball. They would hand it off to me. I would get the ball, and I would oftentimes run up the middle of the field and try to gain some yards, gain some yards from my, from my team, my town, my school. Um, and, and inevitably, I would get tackled. Inevitably, I would get bruised up, banged up. Uh, but the goal was not to avoid getting tackled in the game. The, the goal was to get yards. That was the goal. So, you know, get yards before you get tackled. Whether it's 20 yards, 30 yards, 10 yards, 2 yards even, it would, would make it count. Gain yards, gain yards for your team, gain yards. Um, but here's the thing about football, and, and it's, it's the thing I love about football is that everybody moves at the same time on a play. Everybody moves. Everybody has an assignment on any given play. And, and what, the, what the fullback doesn't have the luxury of doing is getting the ball and then sitting in the backfield to see if his linemen are going to block. He, he doesn't get to wait and see. Every play, there's an assignment. If you're, if you're going to go, I know this is getting technical, if you're going to run up between the guard and the, and the tackle, let's say, the linemen, they're supposed to make a hole for you. You don't get the luxury of waiting to see if you, they make the hole. You just got to go in faith that there's a hole going to form. Make sense? You got you to take the ball and run and go, all right, they're going to do something. They're going to make a way here. And it's similar to kind of like the, the, our faith walk. This passage that we're going to look at in the book of Exodus, we see God saying, you're going to go do something, and I'm going to go before you. You're going to go do something that seems a little overwhelming. It's, it, it, it's going to seem like, you know, you're not prepared for it. You're not equipped for it, but I'm going to go before you. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to create a hole here, in other words. And, and as, as we've been saying about the book of, of Exodus in general, it's a mirror of our walk with Jesus. It's a mirror of our faith walk with Jesus now. Everything about the book of Exodus points to, foreshadows uh, something about our spiritual journey now, and God still sends us out. He still sends us out on assignments. He still sends us out on a mission. He still tells us to go take authority over certain things, but he promises to go make a way. 
He promises to go make holes. He promises to go prepare hearts for difficult conversations that he's sending us into. The thing is, we don't have the luxury, and oftentimes we wish we did, of sitting back and waiting and saying, all right, God, let's see what you do here. We, we don't have the luxury of sitting back and, and waiting to see if God's plan uh, gets our approval, right? We'd like that. We, we, we like to pray and then say, all right, God, tell me the next 10 steps. I'll tell you if I like them. And if I like them, then I'll start to act. No, no, we've got to, by faith, take the ball and run. That's what I'm calling today. Take the ball and run. All right, it's fitting for the season we're in. Take the ball and run. You've got to go by faith, believing that God's going before you. He's making a way. He's preparing hearts. He's, he's, even for things that seem impossible and overwhelming, he's going to do something there. But you've got to take steps by faith. And oftentimes, every step that you take seems a little scary and intimidating. But he says, take the ball and run. Take the ball and run. All right, so Exodus chapter 3, 23. We're going to be um, ver verses 20 to 33, this little passage. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this passage. The goal is going to be, I'm going to try to explain what this meant for the original listeners, the, the Israelites. And then after that, lay out three implications for you and I, okay? So if you're wondering, what does this have to do with me? That's after. That's second half, okay? So just try to pay attention to what this has to do with for the Israelites. All right? Sound good? All right, let's just jump into it. Let's jump into it here. <sighs> Starting in verse 20. This is God speaking through Moses to the Israelites. He says this, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Since my name. So God is telling the Israelites, you're going to go. I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. He's going to go before you. You've got to pay attention. You better submit to him. You better be obedient to him. Now, many scholars would say that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is one of those instances where Jesus is showing up in the Old Testament. God the Son was always, he's an eternal, he's always there. He was there at creation. And uh, as scholars believe that this is, this, is, this is Jesus. Because when it says, my name is in him, is one indication. Another indication is that God says that the people are to give him complete obedience which is never asked of uh, for any other angel in the Old Testament. So um, uh, either way, God is saying he's going before you, this angel. He's going before you. Right? He's, he's making some holes for you. But you better be obedient to him. Verse 22. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. So here's a first promise to the people of Israel. And remember, at this point, they had just been given the law, the commands. They had just, just a couple months earlier, they'd been saved from Egypt. They're like, as a people, they're still getting to know God. And God had just showed them, hey, here's how to live. And now he's saying, okay, and now you have a mission. You're going into this land, and by the way, you're going you're gonna to have to do some work here, but I'm going ahead of you, and I will oppose anyone who opposes you. Now imagine God says to you, visited you, and said, hey, by the way, anybody who's opposing you, they're my enemy now. Imagine that. That'd give you some confidence, wouldn't it? it I mean, like parents, you, you know that feeling. You're like, hey, anybody who comes against my kid, and sometimes it's to a fault, right? Sometimes it's to a fault. Your coach doesn't play your kid, and it's because your kid just ain't that good, 
but you get all worked up, you call it discrimination, you file a lawsuit, right? You know, parents get a little nutty in that way. But this is God saying to the Israelites, that's how passionate I am for you. I'm going to post anybody who opposes you. I'm going to be their enemy, and I'm going to drive out these people who took over a land that was once yours, a land that I promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. You were made slaves in Egypt, and they got filled up with these other peoples, but I am going to come, and I'm going to drive them out. But there comes a contingency with it. You've got to be obedient. You've got to stay in submission to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. Verse 24. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. So he said there's going to be idols and false gods within that, those different cultures. Don't, don't try to mix. Don't try to mix. Don't think you can worship me and also mess around with those other false gods, those, those other idols. It ain't going to work. They're, they're going to be a snare to you. Break them to pieces. Now, this might sound very exclusive. This might sound like snobbish on God's part, like, you know, no other, no other religions allowed kind of thing. Um, but so, the practices that went al along with some of these other uh, false religions of these peoples were pretty, they were pretty depraved. I mean, they included things like child sacrifice. So God was like, don't try to mix in that stuff. Don't try to mix in that stuff. Don't get sucked in. You, you might be tempted to. There might be things about those cultures that look like freedom to you. They're glimmering and they're shiny and you might be tempted to go, maybe we could take a little of that too and mix it in. And God's like, don't fall for it. It's not freedom. Don't fall for it. They're traps. Verse 25. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Wow. Wow. Now that's a promise, huh? So he already promised land. He promised to oppose the enemies, to oppose them. And now he's given them the promise of physical protection, protection over their health, their bodies, their pregnancies, their food, their water. I'm going to give you a full lifespan. Holy cow. Now, that doesn't mean that every individual will live like 140 years. Some of them are going to die in battle. But in a, as a general rule, he's saying you are going to be a people who are going to flourish. And people are going to look at you and go, wow, look at them. Something special about them. There's some protection on them. There's some blessing on them. Their, their lives are not being cut short left and right because of the curse of this fallen world. Verse 27 I will send my terror ahead of you. Here's kind of part of the strategy, how I'm going to get those folks out. I'm going to create fear in them and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the, the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. So he's going to make a, a terror of fear go before them. There's going to be like the actual tangible presence of fear in these other nations and people groups. They're going to hear, oh no, the people of Israel are coming and I heard what their God did to the Egyptians. I heard about those plagues. I heard about what happened at the Red Sea. We better get out of here. We better get out of here and run. Verse 29. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So, uh, they may want God to do it overnight, but God's like, that ain't going to be good for you. 
Sometimes I work fast and sometimes I work slow. And slow in this case is better for you because otherwise you're not numerous enough uh, to take over the land. The wild animals are going to come. It's got to happen in incremental steps here. Anybody ever experienced that? You want God to work like that and he's, he's taking it in steps? You ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, that's how God, he's for our good. That's how he works sometimes. Verse 31. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. You will drive them out before you. Right? So he, he had previously said, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to create fear. But it's a partnership. But you're going to drive them out. You've you got some work to do. You ain't going to just sit back and wait. You're going you're gonna to pray and then you're going to move and take action. You're going to take the ball and run, is what he's saying. You're going to take the ball and run. Verse 32, do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. So idolizing false gods, the worship of false gods may appear okay, he's saying, but when you fall into that trap, it's going to lead to some behaviors and some practices that are going to be sinful to me, offensive to me. Uh, you, you, you can't mix it. So he's just reemphasizing that as this passage ends. He's reemphasizing you can't mix the worship of me with the worship of these other gods. You can't chase after the things that they're chasing after. You're going to want to. You're going to be tempted to. Your kids are going to look at you know, what they got and be like, Mom, Dad, why can't I have what those kids have? I was like, don't, don't, watch out for that. Watch out for that. It's kind of like trying to be a Giants fan and a Cowboys fan at the same time. Can that work? Come on. Just can't work. You can't, no, you, you, otherwise you say, you're not a real Giants fan then, right? You just, you know, you just, you're not real, it's not, it's not legit. That's what God's saying. If you really, if you really want to stay surrendered to me and experience all the blessing I have for you, be part of my covenant people. Uh, you can't mix. You can't mix. So that's, that's the passage in a nutshell. He's saying, I'm getting things ready for you. Take the ball and run. Go. I'm preparing holes. I'm, I'm, I'm sending fear. I'm going to protect you. Take the ball and run. Take the ball and run. Don't sit back and wait. Take the ball and run. You drive them out. You go. Now, what does this have to do with us? How does this apply to us? How does this point to us, right? Everything we've been doing with Exodus, we've been saying, it foreshadows a greater freedom that we have because of Jesus. The Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. We're freed from a greater slavery to sin and death because of Jesus. Moses went down into the depths of Egypt to rescue them out. Jesus went down into the depths of the grave to break free. Unlock the doors for us and say, follow me into resurrection life. Everything we've been talking about with Exodus points to what we get in Jesus. They were given laws written on stone tablets. You and I, when we trust in Jesus, get his laws written on our hearts through his spirit. But what does this passage have to do with us? Like, is this passage saying, like, you know, hey, go... Go make war with other nations and try to get them to act like Christians? Is it saying they try to assert political power? Is that what it's saying? I mean, we've certainly seen that happen in history, right? Holy wars and crusades and whatnot, and didn't always go that well. Didn't always make Jesus look very good, did it? Right? Others, others have said, well, let's just, you know, that's nothing to do with us anymore. We just, let's just wait for Jesus to come back and take us to heaven. That's all. That's, that has nothing to do with it. That was just a specific time and place. 
I believe there's, there's multiple ways that it foreshadows what we get in Jesus. First of all, it, it foreshadowed Jesus' first coming. When he showed up, you know what he started doing? Driving out enemies, healing broken bodies. We saw the covenant promises of the people of God that they missed out on because of, of their rebellion throughout the Old Testament. Jesus showed up on the scene and said, the kingdom of God is here. And he started driving out their enemies. And what were their enemies? They thought it was going to be the Romans. Demonic forces that were tearing them up. He was driving out demons. He was healing the sick. Those just weren't signs that he was God. They were signs that he was bringing the covenant promises of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What he promised Israel. It's still available. It's here. It's here. It's here. This is what my kingdom looks like. You can be part of it. You can be part of it. It also foreshadows an ultimate kind of uh, uh, freedom we get when Jesus does return. He's going to come back, and guess what? Guess how this thing ends? He's not taking us to heaven so we can escape this crazy world. No, he's bringing heaven down to earth, and he's going to renew this earth, and every square inch of creation is going to shine with his glory in a way that it doesn't now. And those of us who have trusted in Jesus are going to reign with him on this new earth. Every square inch, every, every, um, every piece of creation that was intended in the beginning to be uh, filled with people who worship him will one day be filled with people who worship him. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have uh, perfect health because we're going to have these resurrected bodies that will never die, will never be prone to sickness and disease. And we're going to reign and rule with him on this creation the way we were supposed to, the way Adam and Eve were supposed to in the beginning, and they screwed it up. And now he's starting over Israel, and they're going to screw it up. But one day, one day, one day, one day, the earth will be renewed. A new heaven, a new earth, resurrected bodies, and all the enemies of God will be driven out. Satan, his demonic realm, and all of them who have anybody who has said, Jesus, no, ain't my Lord, ain't my Lord, are going to be driven out. That's one day. But that brings us back to the question, what does this have to do with us now? Other than longing for that day, which we should. Other than praying for that day, which we should. Come, Jesus, come. Three things, three implications for right now. Get ready to make some notes. Take some notes. Only three things, Justin. I know you don't like it when I have too many things. No, I, I get critique from the pastoral team on a regular basis. It's, it's helpful, so I've been trying to cut down my points. I shouldn't have did that. I'm sorry. That'll be a... <laughs> number one, number one, God is still sending us to take authority of the nations. He's still sending us to take authority over the nations. Is it through political power? No. It's another way. Jesus said in Matthew 20, after he died and rose again, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so he's got the authority, and then he says, therefore, go, telling them to go. Right? Partnership. We see this partnership again. I've got the authority, now you go. You go, take the ball and run. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go proclaim this good news of resurrection life to every nation in the earth. Baptize them into this new family, into the, a new identity. Baptize them, immerse them in this new identity. They're, they're part of the family of God now. 
They're part of a new kingdom, a new creation. And then in verse 20, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's not just a promise about him comforting us in our difficulties, although that's true. But in this context, he's saying, I'm going to be with you as you go. Just like that angel was in that passage in Exodus. I'm going to make some holes for you. You take the ball and you run. I'll be preparing hearts. I'll be preparing the nations. I'm going before you. I, I'm, 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 giving, I'm giving people dreams in parts of the world that never heard about me, and they're hearing my name in dreams, and they're going looking for somebody to explain those dreams to, and I'm going to send you to them to explain those dreams. That's happening in the world right now. You know that? It's happening countless ways throughout the world, especially the Muslim world right now. It's happening. He's going before us. But he says, you take the ball and run, and trust that I'm preparing hearts. And in Acts 1.8, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So this is how he's going to be with us, through his spirit, filling us, preparing them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So do you see it's geographic and it's like he's talking geographically. He's not giving up on creation. He wants every nation, tribe and tongue to be represented on that new earth one day. And so you and I have a job to go in the authority that he's given us to take the ball, to run, to proclaim good news that Jesus died for them and he's alive, he's risen, he's conquered death on their behalf. Follow him out of the grave. Follow him into a new family, a new kingdom. Follow him into that new life. And, and they had to wait until the path came. And once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit had been poured out, that's how he went before them, giving them boldness when otherwise they would be scared. And he promises to do the same for us. Gives us boldness when otherwise we'd be like, I don't know if I should say something. Giving us the power to love people who are pretty difficult to love. Giving us words to say when otherwise we're like, I don't know how to answer Bible questions. And he'll give us supernatural thoughts in our heads to say, oh, I can answer that in the right moment at the right time. Going before us, creating moments where we can pray for sick people and miracles popping up because he wants us to showcase what his kingdom is like in this broken world. Be a foreshadow of that future kingdom. To pray for sick and disabled and see actual miracles happen. To see things popping up in supernatural ways. That's what he's called us to go, to go in that authority. So here's a question for you before I move on. Who are you called right now to be a witness of Jesus to? Just think about that. Is there somebody right now? Could be a neighbor, co-worker. And you're sitting back waiting to see if God makes a hole. And he's saying, no, take the ball, run. Trust that I'm doing something, that I'm preparing. Trust that I'm doing something. Now, some of you, it might be an individual level. Some of you, it, it might be he's, he's calling you to explore international missions because there's places around the world that had never heard about Jesus. And he might be saying to you, I want you to explore going. I want you to explore taking your family one day. Our denomination's big on this. You, we can connect and talk about what those next steps could be for you ex to explore that. Josh and Joni, they're preparing for going to Remnant Church. Dave and Jen Rivera going to Long Beach Island. Some of you might be called to go with them. And you're like, I don't know if I could move to Long Beach Island. Just, 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 just pray. Just pray. Just pray. What's God doing? So that's number one. Number two, 
Number two, God is still sending us to take authority over our enemies. He's still sending us to take authority over our enemies. You know that? Now, who are enemies? Is it other nations? Is it the Taliban? Is it the other political party? Are they the problem? New Testament's pretty clear. Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 12. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? The devil and his schemes. It doesn't say take your stand against that party, that tribe, that camp, those people. Those people who disagree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare to take my stand against them. No, he's saying take your stand against the devil, the Satan, the accuser. And his schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It looks like it is. A lot, doesn't it? Doesn't it look like it is? A lot. But it's not. It's against the rulers, the authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They're out there. They're scheming. They're manipulating. And he's, he's telling this to Christians. He's telling this to the church at Ephesus. Take your stand because the devil's coming against you. He, he's, yeah, he's, he's got schemes for those who have not trusted in Jesus for sure. But he's got schemes for you too. Those of you who have trusted in Jesus. Oh, he's after you. He's got strategies. He's got schemes. We could, we could do a 12-week series on his, some of his schemes. I want to highlight three right now that he might be doing for us. Coming, using to come against you and your family. I see it right now. It's very prevalent in our culture. It's the three things that we prayed against at the beginning of this sermon. Remember what they were? Distraction, anxiety, and offense. Yeah, those are some schemes that he uses to get our eyes off of Jesus. To get, to get us to stop grabbing the ball and running. Not trusting. Just distracted, right? Imagine a little, like a football, a fullback in the, in the backfield. Ball snapped, and he's just off there going, huh, what's going on? Why is that guy dressed over there with a, right? It's distracted. That'd be ridiculous. Offense, right? Uh, angry at teammates, angry at each other, picking on each other, getting in the huddle and going, why, why didn't you do that block for me? Why didn't you blah, 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 blah? Like that's the worst thing for a team to do in the middle of a game, start fighting with each other. And then anxiety and fear. Oh, no, I might get hit. Oh, no, I might get bruised. Right? That, you can't. And that's what we do as Christians. We get tangled up in distractions. Sometimes it's things that are good that we just get obsessed with, chasing after, right? And the latest gadgets and toys and possessions and renovations to our house. And sometimes it's things that aren't so good. Things that we get addicted to, substances and things online, distractions. It's like God's tries to call us to things. Hey, I got this assignment for you. And we're just not even, we're like, oh yeah, God, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take my notes in church. And then we leave and we're like, what was that even about? You ever, you ever been there? Somebody's like, hey, what was church about? I don't remember. I just have so many other things on my mind. It's like when our kids are, you know, time for bed. And we're like, hey guys, upstairs, okay? And two minutes go by. Hey guys, upstairs, we just, it's upstairs bedtime. Go brush your teeth, okay? And uh, hey, for the fifth time, oh, I didn't hear you. You just responded to me four other times. 
Oh, I didn't hear you. I forgot. All right? We get distracted like that. God's trying to speak to us, saying, go. I got this assignment for you. I got this place I want you to go. I, I, I got a mission field for you. And we're like, oh, yeah. I didn't hear you. I forgot. So that's distractions. Offense. Offense. I mean, gosh, uh, listen. Hmm. <laughs> Offense. It's in, the, it's in the air we breathe right now, isn't it? Uh, and the media certainly is a big help there. I mean, there, you know, fear and anger, fear and anger, get, just drive it into us. Uh, you know, it keeps us coming back. They're discipling us. Whatever your source is for media, they are discipling you to be angry at somebody. They are discipling you. You're, and, and the more time you spend with them, your rabbi, hmm, you're being discipled to be angry at somebody and to see some flesh and blood as the enemy. Flesh and blood. They're training you to be angry at somebody. And you've you got to take your stand against that. Take some information, but get, it, get out the offense. Because then it bleeds into the church. I was talking to Jack Miskin this past week. Jack Miskin made a great point. He said, man, with all the, any controversial topic, right, you know, that, that the culture is polarized, it can bleed into the church. But this, he said, used this phrase. He said, this is our time as the church of Christ. This is our time to shine in a way that the rest of the world is not shining or can't. Because they're not equipped. They don't have the spirit of God in them. You and I, we can disagree over controversial stuff. Healthy fine to disagree, stand on your convictions, but to be offended at each other to the point where we're putting up walls with each other, ah, that's just, that, that's just like a football team in a huddle fighting with each other. And the coach is like, guys, get to the line of scrimmage. The clock's ticking down. The clock's ticking down. Y'all are fighting with each other. And then, and then fear and anxiety. There are some legitimate things for us to be concerned about in our world right now. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But when concern becomes fear that is driving us, then, then we're afraid to grab the ball and run. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're on the defense. We're anxious. And anything that we perceive to be a threat, we get, <clears throat> we get amped up about. We come at them. And all these things, distraction, offense, and fear, at the root of them is an idol. Is an idol. Something has become too important. That brings us to number three. We are still called, God is still sending us to tear down the idols of our culture, but within our own hearts. That doesn't mean go point the finger like, yo, you got an idol. Did you hear Pastor Chris? No, 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 no. That's what we, you know, the temptation. You yell at your spouse, I think that's an idol of yours, Right? I wrote a list of five idols of yours. I think you need to, right? No, 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 no. You tear them down in your own heart. You tear them down in your own heart. Anything that has become too important, anything that we treasure more than we treasure God, Jesus, anything that we're chasing after more than we're chasing after Jesus, when it becomes threatened, when it's taken away from us, when we think we might lose it, what's the result? Distraction, offense, and fear, Right? Those are the symptoms of anything that becomes an idol that all of a sudden gets threatened. You ever been sleep deprived and sleep becomes an idol? People become either an obstacle to you getting that sleep or a support. That's how you start to see people. Are they going to help me get sleep or hurt me from getting sleep? That's like they're in one of two categories. 
And you take anything in life, when it becomes too important, that's what other people become. They're either going to help me get what I want, or they're going to keep me from it. Whether it's the approval, whether it's uh, career advancement, more money, you name it. Safety, security, control, freedom, personal liberties, whatever it is, if somebody is a perceived threat, it's an indication that that thing has likely become too big of an idol. And Jesus says, hey, I've given you my spirit to tear those things down, to put them to death. When you notice them popping up, put them down. Put them down. You don't have to be a victim there. You don't have to be sucked in. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? What does this look like? Take the ball and run. And, like, come on. What does that mean practically? Well, it means something different for everybody, right? But, but I want to emphasize the fact that it's not just praying and being complacent and waiting for God to make a change. It's often praying and then taking a step of faith. So, for example, you're, you're in a, a situation with somebody where there's been conflict, maybe some offense, and you're praying, God, heal this. It's not praying, God, heal this, and then you sit back and look for some change in them. Is it safe to approach them? Let me just wait and see. It might be you praying and then you taking that step, approaching them, talking about the elephant in the room, believing that God has gone before you to prepare their heart. Hmm? Believing that God has gone, maybe, you know, there's a coworker. You feel like God, God's put them on your heart, and you're like, yeah, but if I bring up Jesus, they'll be upset. And it's like, trust that God's gone before you. He's preparing them. Trust that. Trust that. Just if, you, if, you, if you bring that up, family members battling an addiction, you don't just pray. Nobody talks to them. You pray, and then you go, all right, I'm going I'm to take a step and approach them and confront them and talk to them and, and, and believe that God is doing something, preparing them for this conversation taking a step of faith. I don't know what it looks like, and sometimes it seems overwhelming and daunting, doesn't it? Whatever if we feel like God's put on our heart, something needs to be fixed, something needs to be addressed. Sometimes it just feels so overwhelming, so impossible. So I want to end with this. I want to I, I I end with um, this is story that I, I read uh, in, in the New Testament in, in, the, in Matthew chapter 14 this past week. And um, it's not on the screen. It won't be on your slides. Um, but I was, um, all right, put my cards on the table here. <laughs> There's been multiple times, multiple moments as a pastor where I felt like in over my head. Many times, often. Um, you know, sitting down with a couple who don't want to work things out and, they, you know, and trying to convince them to go to counseling. Like that seems daunting and overwhelming. They don't, don't want to be there with me and, or you know, with each other. They're not going to go to counseling. Overwhelming. Talking to somebody who's so antagonistic about Jesus and the gospel and trying to explain to them uh, what I believe about Jesus. It's just like, God, this is never going to, they're never going to want it. They're never going to trust. They're never going to care. Seems overwhelming. Seems daunting. But there's also been seasons as a pastor, like prolonged seasons where it's like, God, I don't. I don't know about this. Um, just n- not a, not maybe a handful over the last 10 years, 8 years. Um, last few weeks has been one of those. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. I, I know it comes as a surprise to some of you guys. but uh, Our church being divided over things 
It's like, God, how do you keep this church united? It's like everything that the culture fights about just bleeds in here. How do you, like, God, this is, seems impossible. And I came across this story in the New Testament in the book of Matthew this week, and it's kind of, an, kind of just a picture of what it looks like for the church now to do what the Israelites were called to do in that passage in Exodus. So Jesus was out with the crowds, and the crowds were building, and it got to be, it says 5,000 men plus their families, wives, children, so upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people that he had been healing and preaching to. And it was getting late. And all of a sudden, the disciples were like, yo, Jesus, you better send them home, send them away. They're going to be hungry soon. Like, we're in a desolate place. They need to go get some food. And Jesus responds to these guys. Remember, fifteen to 20,000 people there. And Jesus responds to the, to, to the, the disciples, and he says, you feed them. And I, I, I don't know what their tone was when they responded, but it says they're like, with what? Like, we got a couple fish and a few loaves of bread like i'd imagine it's like a joke like we got a few loaves of bread ha <laughs> ha like right and jesus is like hey you're bringing them in and i again i imagine them being like this guy's kidding me right here here's the f-. and and he blesses them and then you know what he does he doesn't make them multiply in the hands of everyone in the crowd he gives them back to the disciples and he says now go hand them out and they have to by faith start handing them out and they're multiplying, and they're mul- we don't know, you know what that looked like, but they're multiplying as they're handing them out. And so what struck me about that was Jesus, they, they didn't say to Jesus, we need to send them home to get something to eat, and Jesus said, all right, don't worry, watch, I'm going to do a miracle, food's going to appear, and they're all going to start eating off this buffet. He says to them, you feed them, and then he literally said, now go feed them, go hand this out. And that's just a picture for us, isn't it? When times feel overwhelming and things feel like, man, this, this conversation, there's no way there's going to be, it's going to go well. Working on my marriage, there's no way things are going to, things are going to, you know, there's going to be breakthrough. And she's like, you take a step, you feed them, you go, you take the ball, you run with it. Trust that I'm going to multiply the fish and loaves. Trust that I'm going to make a way. Trust that I'm going to create a hole where there is no hole. Trust that I'm going to do what I do, but I want to partner with you to take a step and take authority and walk in this authority that I've given you through my spirit. And so whatever that means for you, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'm going to call the band up, and as we worship and res- take some time to let God move in our heart, I want you to want, just ask him, God, what does this mean for me? And expect it to seem overwhelming. Impossible. And that might be a clue that, oh, that's, that's something he wants you to step into. And again, it could be a big thing, like I'm going to go with Dave and Jen Rivera to LBI, or it could be a, a conversation you need to have with a family member because you guys have been so going at it with each other over something in the news. Who knows? So let's stand and, and let's... let's Let's worship our our God who's a waymaker.